Jack had a worry. I, I, sometimes getting started on a sermon preparation is the hardest thing. Like, like once I get rolling, then I can get rolling. And I, I knew I wanted to talk about worry and contemplation, but I just couldn't find the, the impetus, the, the, the story, the, the anecdote to, to kind of drive it home. And so I created a slide that says, worry and contemplation. And from there, it was just boom, 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 boom. But I, find, I finally just said, okay, we're titling it Worry and Contemplation because we're going to talk about worry. <laughs> worry and contemplation, right. But first, we're going to talk about a sign you never see the Westboro Baptist Church fly. Now, I, I recognize that just these signs are painful for many people. And if they're not painful for you, you probably need to give them a good hard look and let them be painful for you. But the Westboro Baptist Church and people of their ilk uh, fly these signs that say things like fags are beasts and God hates Obama and mourn for your sins and God hates Jews and America is doomed. And they show up and demonstrate at the, at the funerals of soldiers and they have a lot of really nasty things to say. And uh, it's God hates fags and God, God hates Jews and God hates sinners and God hates liars and God hates adulterers and God hates those who divorce. And Do you see a theme here? God hates, God hates, God hates, God hates. And then as, as people, and they, I've, I've read stories of people who have gone to spend time with the West Barbara Baptist Church, like to get them to know them as people. And they're, it's, a, it's this very, very strange situation where they're, they're actual kind of people. Like, like if you enter their homes, they're hospitable and kind, even if you're gay. We, I've, I've read a book from a gay man that spent lots of time with the West Barbara Baptist Church and, and were treated pretty kindly in a one-on-one a -on -one situation. But on the streets, they, they, they spew hatred, and it's, they would say it's because they follow Jesus and they believe Jesus hates these things, right? And I'm just, I'm just curious. So I saw, I saw this picture that somebody put up that I thought was pretty amusing. No, that's not it. That's the one. God hates... My, my, my slides are messing up here. It's God hates signs. Can you put that one up there, buddy? And I'm going to reboot this. So, so you'll, he you'll hear all kinds of God hates... And I thought this was, was amusing. Sorry, guys, one second. And what are, so go to the, the blank, blank that out for you. Let's, let's fill in the blank here. What are, what are some of the things that, like people who preach hellfire and brimstone, what, what is it that God hates? What are some of the things that you'd see on a sign? God hates hate? You, you see hatred, yes, but what are, what are some of the particulars? Like, like what are the things that hellfire preachers rail on? Sin, abortion, what else? Adultery, divorce, if you're gay or you're not, all kinds of stuff. And, and the one thing you don't see too much of, give me a second here, is the sign that I already showed my hand on, is God hates worry. If you'd pull that up for me. And, and I, I want to argue today that, first off, God doesn't hate gay people. God doesn't hate adulterers. God doesn't hate divorcees. God doesn't hate liars. God hates that people lie and the impact of lies. He hates the impact of adultery. He, he hates that we hurt. He hates that we're not thriving, and he wants, he wants to fix those things. And one of the things that I think you ought to see on a sign, so, so, so here, here's, here's the reality. God's hate, God hates worry is a truth. God hates gay people is false. But I want to talk about worry just for a second, because, because when we talk about God hates divorce, for example, the hellfire and brimstone preacher will quote passages of Scripture that say, particularly, God hates divorce. And they'll, 
They'll, they'll, they'll talk about adultery, and they'll, they'll talk about sexual mores, and, and they'll use the Bible to back it up. And if, you, if you're really looking for the Ten Commandments on human behavior, there's a, there's a whole lot of commands about worry in the Bible. Like if you just wanted it to be a command-based gospel where, where you obey the laws of the, of, of the Bible, then you're going to have to obey the laws of worry. And when was the last time you saw Westworld Baptist Church hold a sign that said, God hates worriers? It just doesn't happen. But Matthew 6 says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. It's a command. Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, do not worry. So if we're looking for 10 commandments, if we're looking for laws to obey, not worrying is one of them, but it's just not one you hear. You never hear a hellfire brimstone preacher saying, you're going to hell because you worry. It just doesn't happen. But it's, but it's there for all to see. And, and I, I don't think hellfire brimstone is, is the right way to preach anyway, but it says, be anxious for nothing, Paul tells us in Philippians. Do not do not let your hearts be troubled. So if you want to read it with a particular tone, do not worry, do not fear, don't let your hearts be troubled. These are, these are kind of rules. But I don't, I don't think the, the, the gospel was designed to be a system of rules. I think if you change the tone of these, it shows the heart of God. And I think, I think the heart of God is what's missing from the Westboro Baptist Church and their signs. But worry, I'm relating worry to stress because they're, they're definitely co-related. And worry causes all kinds of problems. It causes headaches and muscle problems and chest pain and fatigue and change in your sex drive and digestion issues and high blood pressure and fertility issues and hormonal problems. And how many, how many know something is sim- not, not simple? Uh, if you have thyroid problems or hormonal problems that are stress-induced, then that's, is the, once you have hormonal problems, is it going to add to or subtract from your stress? So worry begets worry. No matter how you look at it, if worry causes headaches, headaches induce more worry, it becomes a vicious circle. Worry is something that will shut you down, and it, it can grow and compound in your life and ultimately destroy you. So when we say God hates worry, we hate, he hates the impact. It, it can cause sleep issues. How many know that lack of sleep can cause tremendous stress? And tremendous stress can cause tremendous worry. Tremendous worry can cause more lack of sleep. And it adds up. Cardiovascular problems, viral susceptibility. You're more apt to get a cold or the flu if you're stressed and worried. And I said sleep issues twice, apparently, because I'm a bonehead. Actually, it was because I wanted to emphasize that point. (laughs) I feel like you ain't buying what I'm selling. It affects your mental health. It causes restlessness. It's a motivation killer. And how many know when you lack motivation, you lack progress, and a lack of progress causes stress? Vicious circle. Worry begets worry. The more you worry, the more you stress, the more you're going to worry, the more you're going to stress, the less capable you are of thriving, of victory in your life. You lack focus. There's anger and sadness, and it affects behavior. It's well known that stress causes overeating, angry outbursts, substance abuse, sexual promiscuity, a lack of exercise and social avoidance. And how many know that all of these things compound more stress in your life? So if somebody wanted to, if the Westboro Baptist Church wanted to pick at the streets and say, God hates worry, I might, I might be able to honk my horn when I drive past them. Because God is about human thriving. God is about your victory in life. He, want, he wants to see you succeed. And so it's not that he hates worriers. He hates, the, he hates that you worry. And I want you to know that about God today, that, that when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're experiencing crippling anxiety, that God is there saying, I don't want you to feel this. Let's deal with this. And, and again, I, I appreciated Mike Maines and his, his candid conversation a couple of weeks ago in here that we're, 
We believe in taking your pills and praying. And it's a combination of both. But we're going to talk about the spiritual kind of metaphysical part today of, of how do you avoid worry. And a lot of it comes down to contemplation and living in the moment. Because it could be argued easily that, that worry, like, like all the stuff we said, we, you know, divorce, um, if you wanted to say sexual promiscuity, if you wanted to say substance abuse, like those are the things that will end up on a sign. But do you see that stress is kind of foundational and, and worry is kind of foundational that leads to all kinds of problems and issues. So if you really wanted to get to the root of all the stuff that you ought to rail against, getting to the root of it would be get, getting down to the worry and teaching people to walk in trust and peace. And you would avoid a tremendous list of sadnesses in people's lives. Here's where you change the tone. And in all those passages, if you read the passages that are the commands of do not worry, do not fear, do not be anxious, if you read them in context, there's a gentleness to them that, that we should embrace. And this is one of the examples in First Peter. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's a safe place for you to give your anxieties. I've known so many people that have just given up on God because of worry and fear. And I'm... I'm I'm of the opinion you're, you're, getting, you're, you're casting aside a tremendous outlet for your anxiety. In, in, the, in the book we just read, actually, let's, let's, let's jump to Jack's worry. So I think Jack should have one main worry, and that's that he has one eye that goes like this, and that's just very strange. <laughs> it says, Jack loved playing the trumpet, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this analogous to living is that you have a calling, you have a destiny, you have something about you that makes you unique and interesting and important. And that worry will shut that thing down pretty fast. He said he found he had, he found he had a worry. He crawled under the blankets and hid under the bed, but his worry followed him. I've, I've discovered that when I have worries, bed is the worst place to be. Pulling the blankets up over your head just makes it worse. And we've all, we've all tried to hide from our worry. We've tried to Discipline ourselves to not worry so much, and no matter where we hide, it seems like that, that worry and that anxiety and that stress might follow us. It says his special breakfast wasn't as fun. When you're carrying stress and when you're... <laughs> Jack just preaches for me. When you're carrying stress and you're carrying anxiety, all, all the best activities in the world just are dampened. When you're, when you're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow, today is hard to live well. Worry about tomorrow ruins today, which is something we're going to talk about as we continue. And here's where contemplation enters. This is where I've, I've practiced meditation many times, and, and in meditation, a lot of Christian meditation, um, which now I want to explain, but I'm not going to. Uh, one, of, one of the keys is posturing, is sitting in a position where you can relax your shoulders and relax your abs and relax your breathing and relax your legs. And it's very, very hard to do. You have to, it's a very conscious effort. And this is, this is saying that a lot of times we have to be that kind of, we have to be on purpose like that when it comes to our worry. Because we, when, you, when you sit down to meditate, a lot of times you'll realize that you're tense and you didn't even realize you're tense. And this conscious effort that Jack made of, of looking at my worries, looking at my fears, what are the things that haunt me? is on purpose. You, ha you have to do it on purpose. And then when you notice how tensed up you are, and, and, and tension brings muscle pain and headaches and stress, and stress brings cardiovascular problems and sleep issues, and just the simple act of relaxing your shoulders can be very, very powerful. And so contemplation is kind of like the uh, metaphysical version of relaxing your shoulders. 
It's, it's realizing I'm living out there. I'm living somewhere else. I'm living in fear of what is to come, or I'm living in anxiety about what someone did to me. I'm living in the past. I'm living in the future, but I'm not living right here, right now. And this is what Jack does. And Jack turns towards right here, right now, and he sees something, and it gives him the words that he needs to speak. And he's, he realizes that he's not, he's not too worried about the concert itself. He's worried about making mistakes at the concert. And then what he's worried about is this existential need that his mother's not going to love him anymore. And when you stare at your worries and you stare at your fears, you start to see the base needs. And I'm of the opinion that Jesus meets base needs. And then his mom says something brilliant. So the author of this, and I, I can't remember his name. I had it on the first slide. The author of this says, the concert isn't about playing perfectly. So life, you succeeding, you, you being who you were designed to be, you using your talents, Ryan Engler being Ryan Engler, Dennis Baumgarten being Dennis Baumgarten, is not about them being the perfect Ryan Engler or the perfect Dennis Baumgarten, of getting everything right all the time. But what is it about? It's right here. Sharing something you love with people who love you and I'll still love you even if you play every note wrong. That sounds like God to me. That sounds like Jesus to me. It says, you, you were designed to play the trumpet, and you're never going to play the trumpet perfectly, but I sure do like it when you play. And then the end, boom, it just abruptly, Jack was too busy playing the trumpet to worry. The end. I'm too busy living. I'm too busy being, I'm not being Lynn Musselwhite, but Lynn Musselwhite is too busy being Lynn Musselwhite here now, in this moment, to worry about being Lynn Russell White next year. It's I'm playing the trumpet now. I've realized that my existential satisfaction is grounded in something that is an anchor that's unshakable and unmoving. And therefore, I can, I can walk in peace. I can walk in peace right here, right now. We've talked recently about how contemplation is the practice of being fully present in heart, mind, and body. And I've just had a lot of thoughts on how that ties into worry and some of what scripture has to tell us about how we pray and how we live our lives. And so I discovered, I designed this just as a puddle of mud of just, these are just thoughts on worry and contemplation and they're in no particular order. Uh, there's no order to them. It's, it's just, I'm throwing it out there. And the first is this, is that worry and faith don't sleep together. They're not, they, they sleep in separate beds. Um, Throughout history, faith wasn't, de wasn't described the way that the Western church typically describes faith nowadays. And Nowadays in church, a lot of times you're expected to believe the right things. And if you believe the right things strong enough, then you get to go to heaven and you go don't go to hell, which is kind of the, the base message of, of many churches today. And in my opinion, that is wrong on so many levels. It'd be, I could preach for hours on it. But one of the ways that it's wrong is describing faith as mental assent. It's saying you must believe Jesus was the Son of God. You must believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that he died on the cross, was resurrected dead, and that he was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and all the other stuff in the Apostles' Creed. That You have to believe those things and not waver and not doubt. And the more you can mentally gird up your loins and not waver and not doubt, the more Christian you are. And in my opinion, that's a terrible, terrible definition of faith. Faith is simply trust. It's placing your trust in something. And the example I always use is you placed your trust in the chair you sit in today. Your confidence, you, you, you didn't know. You, di you don't have absolute certainty that I didn't come in and loosen some of those screws today, which would be a kind of a funny gag. You don't know that, but your experience has shown you that it's faithful. So you sat down without thinking. That's kind of what it comes down to when it comes to what, what faith in God looks like. And the Bible is... The Bible is a book that talks a whole lot about faith, it's, it's, and it's about placing your trust in something. And, 
And when you have your trust in something solid, worry has to go out the door. When you know that your future is held in the hand of someone who's unshakable, unmoving, and all-powerful, you don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to hide under the sheets and try to hide from your worry. But instead, you can come out in the open and be seen and be known. The Bible is a book of faith and trust. and The psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. We, we've talked in here recently about mental health and how you take your pills and you pray. You, you, you take the Tylenol when you have a headache and you, you pray the headache will go away. You, you lock your doors of your car and you trust God to safeguard your stuff. And one of the ways that I think that, that gets overlooked in church a lot of times is we say, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And we think, we think that what that means is that I have very little part in what happens to me. But part of putting your trust in God is recognizing who he has made you to be and that he has made you a competent and capable person. And so, so trust isn't this abstract, I will let God do what God does and I'm absent from the equation. It's, it's not that at all. It, it doesn't mean don't plan. It means shelter in him. Find your meaning in him. Find your purpose in him. And recognize that even if you play the wrong notes, he's still going to love you. And when you find that confidence in yourself and that existential need is fulfilled within you, then you become a, a better, more confident trumpet player. Then the sleep issues don't haunt you as much. Which doesn't mean that there's not medical reasons why you wouldn't need to take a pill to sleep. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you, when you ground yourself in the Almighty, you can have confidence. And confidence and worry butt heads. If you want to dispel worry... Growing in confidence in who you are designed to be is pretty important. Second point in this puddle of mud is that kind of the opposite of, of worry is serenity. Sort of. Not exactly. But if you ever saw the old Seinfeld episode, when does serenity occur? Anybody know? Serenity now. Serenity now. <laughs> when somebody pulls out in traffic. Serenity now. This was the guy's phrase. He was trying to get a hold of serenity right now. And he was obviously failing terribly. But serenity is something that occurs right here, right now. And, and you, this, this is where contemplation occurs, or enters the equation is that we've, we've talked about this a lot. This that you only live here and now. You don't live tomorrow. You don't live yesterday. You will only ever have right here, right now. And what worry tries to do is get you out of that moment. It's, make, it's making you fear potential pain that may or may not ever become actualized pain. Whereas right here, right now, you may be comfortable in your chair listening to a very fine sermon, if I do say so myself. We've got the air conditioner going. There's snacks in the back. There's coffee. But you may be thinking about the bills that you've got to pay. Or you may be thinking about the trouble that's going on at work. Or you may be thinking about a bad diagnosis you got medically. And do you see that you're not, you're not able to enjoy, you're not able to thrive, you're not able to experience victory because worry has taken you somewhere else, somewhere except the here and now. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and they, they, they came to him and said, Jesus, how do we pray? And he, he prayed a very simple prayer. It's a prayer that most Christians can recite. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And buried right smack in the middle of that, is something about bread. What does it say? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us when? This day. Not tomorrow. Not yesterday. 
give us this, this, this mountaintop prayer. When Jesus was asked how to, how to pray, he didn't say pray about the stuff that's going to come 10 years from now. Contemplate your future. There was something about satisfaction buried in this statement, wasn't there? There's something about right here, right now, my needs are being met, and that's enough. Give us this day our daily bread. And of course, that's a reference to the Exodus when the people escaped Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, and were traveling through the desert, and they were hungry and thirsty, and God started providing for them. And what did he drop on them? What was it called? Manna. Manna from heaven. And uh, in Exodus 16, it says this. It says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, the people to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And they were expected to not work on the Sabbath, so enough manna came for a double portion on Fridays so that on Saturdays they could not do the work. And why, does anybody remember the story? What happens to the bread if it, if it goes uncollected? It rots. What happens if they try to collect more than enough for a couple days, for, for the next day? It rots. What do you think Jesus was trying, what do you think God, who is Jesus, what do you think they were trying to express in this situation? Yeah. Living in the moment, being satisfied with what you have here and now. And that escapes so many people. The satisfaction of the now is so absent from most people. And, and for me, I, I admit it's a, it's a constant struggle. I've told you a couple weeks ago that I was having these moments where I touched a tree and smelt the grass and I was in the moment and God was there. And then I find out three days later that I'm just worried about so much stuff that I, I just have to force myself to try to just center and relax those shoulders and, 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 and not worry. It's a constant battle to live right here, right now. And it's, in some sense, your only battle. In some sense, to be in the moment is, is the answer to life. Grab your Bibles or your mobile devices and turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me, if you would. What have we called the Sermon on the Mount in here? The mother of all sermons... And in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in 625, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, which is going to become important in a little while. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who are you? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to this life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and their heavenly Father knows, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And here, here's, here's the main point, verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. To have the daily bread, to, to seek the kingdom today, is plenty to worry about, is what Jesus is saying here. It's plenty to be occupied, not worry about, that was, that was misspoken. It's plenty to be occupied with. You've got a day today, live there. And trust God to take care of the rest. He, he takes care of the birds, he takes care 
of animals. He'll take care of you. I couldn't find a slide that matched up with this next thought, so I gave you a slide of two men in horse masks playing the accordion. I just, I was like, I have no idea how to illustrate this point that I want to make, so, so there you go. But I drew a picture, and it's a butte. It's a graph or a chart. What is this? It's not a graph or a chart. What is it? It's a, that's what I said. It's a chart. So here's the deal. You're, you're living in the now. And on the now axis, you either worry or you don't worry. Either, either here and now, you're worrying or you're not worrying, right? And in the future, the things you're worrying about either come to pass or don't come to pass. Does this make sense? It's fairly logical, I think. So here's what we find is if you live in the column of worry now, regardless what happens, you're going to experience pain. But now, you're, now even if it doesn't come to pass, you're experiencing pain. You're, it's the pain of the worry. It's the pain of the stress. It's the, the physical reality that occurs in you when you stress. And you're experiencing pain now. And then when you actually experience the pain of whatever it was of, that you were afraid of experiencing, now you've compiled the pain. You've had, had the pain of the worry plus the pain of the reality, and now you have double pain. Which if you don't worry, then now you're not experiencing the pain. And whether if it doesn't happen, then you experience no pain. If it does happen, you experience quite a bit less pain. So do you see worry is just pain? That's all it does for you. It doesn't help you. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't plan. I'm not saying you shouldn't think about the future and make adequate plans. But I am saying to experience the negative reality now of a reality that has not yet occurred is just to add pain to your life. And that's something God doesn't desire for you. The British author Alan Watts wrote this. He said, can you allow your mind to be quiet? Has anybody seen the guy drinking uh, cranberry juice and riding a skateboard online? If you haven't seen this, you need to and you're about to. And that's where I found this slide, which I thought was another funny slide of a big man on a little scooter. I don't know why I like that so much. But, but this guy became an internet sensation because he went for a ride on his skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac and, and drank, cran <laughs> drank cranberry juice. He's become an overnight viral sensation, and, and I think it's Sunkissed. Is that the company? I said Ocean Spray. Ocean Spray gave him like a lifelong access to free cranberry juice for the rest of his life because so many millions of people are now drinking their cranberry juice because of this video. And now there's parodies of this video everywhere. There's people drinking hot sauce and spraying hot sauce all over their face and ranch dressing and riding in the convertibles with their hair blowing. And, and I mean, there's just video after video of people trying to emulate this because there's something we see in it that's just like, ah, yes. There's, there's a yes factor to this video where we say that's what, that's what life is supposed to feel like. Some, something, it captured something, some moment that we all would wish we could experience all the time. And, and the word I would use is carefree. How beautiful would it be to live carefree? And I think in Christ, I think with the message of the gospel, we have, we have that liberty and we're able. Here's another puddle of mud thought is that this is not the destiny of your life. And, and it's kind of a weird thought because the reality of, of, of living is that it's fair to say everything's going to be okay, but not everything's going to be okay, but everything's going to be okay. See, when you're worrying, you're... You're, you're thinking of this volcanic eruption that could occur in your life. Something terrible is going to happen, or I'm going to run out of money, or my, my 
coworkers will hate me or whatever it is or, or the cancer will spread or whatever the thing is that occupies your mind and takes you away from the carefree moment of the cranberry juice and the skateboard ride. I have no idea what my point was there. Oh, I know what it, I know it was. So we, we, we envision ashes and flames and explosions and trembling earth and, that's kind of, and, and we can live in, in the light here now but, but the reality is that that, re, that thing that you're thinking could happen very rarely actually does happen. It's hardly ever as bad as you can make it out to be in your mind. How many people have lost their jobs thinking it's the worst thing on earth only to find later that it was the best thing that ever happened to them? Or had a partner abandon them that later said, I'm so glad they abandoned me. Holy smokes, my life is so much better now. Who thought they could never survive if they got a particular diagnosis or something horrible happened with a family member. And they found out that they had more strength in them than they thought they did. You see, you were designed as a person of competence and ability. You were designed to overcome and to be a victor. And your life is not a volcano, and it never will be. It never will be. Because one of two things will happen. Either A, the thing that you're scared of won't happen, in which case then you would have just stressed unnecessarily, or B, it will happen, and you can find out that you're stronger than you think you are. And either way, you win. So worry just embraces a negative reality that doesn't, doesn't have to be. I'm going to fly here. In Psalm 46, it says this, and this is kind of my closing thought, sort of. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, it says what? We will not fear. You were designed to be a victor. You were designed to be a person who can overcome. You are stronger than you think you are. You can, you can handle whatever's to come. God will be with you through. If the thing happens... God will be with you. If the thing doesn't happen, God will be with you. If the thing happens, you're still capable and you can, you can overcome and manage. If the thing doesn't happen, same thing. You win. So when I say everything's going to be okay, but it's not going to be okay, but it's going to be okay, it means we're not guaranteed everything's going to go exactly how we want to in life. We're not guaranteed of keeping the job we have. We're not guaranteed of financial security. We're not guaranteed we're going to have the child that we want to have or that we're not going to catch any major diseases. We're not guaranteed of any of that. In fact, Scripture seems to be pretty clear that you will endure hardship. But see that word, endure. You will make it. You don't have to be afraid. You don't, you don't have to let your life be wrapped up in this negative reality that may or may not happen, that you can beat no matter what. You get to win. And I'm skipping a couple points in my puddle of mud and arriving at this. So how do we... How do we prepare for that day? So if we're, if we're not allowed to, to worry, if we're not allowed to like freak out mentally and embrace the anxiety, then how, how do we do it? And, and my, my opinion, it goes back to a, a biblical concept that has been long abused, and it's that of reaping and sowing. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of God is often like a seed that's planted and grows into a large tree or, or a, a farmer that goes and scatters seed in a field, and some of it takes root and some of it doesn't, some of it grows and some of it's swallowed up. And, but many, many times in Scripture, Jesus uses parables of seeds. He says the kingdom of God is like a seed. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, yet, it, yet when it's planted, it grows into a, a massive tree where all the birds can come land on it. There's something about putting something in the ground 
and waiting for a harvest. And again, it's, it's a concept that's been abused that says if you'll, give, if, you'll, if you'll send $100 in the offering today, then you'll have $1,000 next week. That kind of thing happens. But it doesn't, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The reality is what you plant today matters for when that time comes. And so let's say you're fearful for your job let's do, as a hypothetical. You're, you're scared that you're going to lose your job a year from now. All the signs are indicating that they're going to downsize. And let's say that you, you spend all that time worrying or you give in to the worry and instead of, instead of preparing your resume and working hard and, and planting some seeds for when that day comes, instead you just go eat pints of ice cream and watch Netflix reruns, right? You're not doing yourself any favors. Then you're going to start losing sleep. And when you start losing sleep, you're going to start losing motivation. When you start losing motivation, then you're going to start being more stressed. And when you're more stressed, then you're going to want to eat the second pint of ice cream and it just cascades. Or you can say, you know what? I serve a God that's big, unmoving, and helpful. He has created me to be a competent human being that can overcome. So therefore, I'm going to start investing in my resume. I'm going to start studying better. I'm going to start looking into other companies. I'm going to start preparing myself for that day. And so, so there's the particular ways that we sow seed and reap a harvest. And that when that day comes, you're going to be, be you're going to be better equipped. You're going to be, you're going to have more sleep. You're going to be bright eyed when it comes to the to to uh, what. What's the word I'm looking for when you go in for an interview? When you, when you go into your interview, you're going to be bright-eyed and, and ready to go. But then on a, on, on a deeper level, it's sowing the seeds of God is good and God is here and God is close. And so, so many people, because of stress and worry, want to abandon God as if it's his fault, as if he did the thing. And instead, they could turn to him, like the scriptures tell us, and cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for you, like we mentioned before. You can start turning towards him and hear his voice and see what he has for you and let him shape and mold you into the person that he desires you to be because that person is a victor. That person is an overcomer. And that is, that is a person that no matter what happens, even if the worst case scenario unfolds, that person doesn't ever have to be scared of anything. So you start investing in that part of your life continually. And then when the time comes... The harvest will come, and you will find out that you can overcome. So a huge part of worrying is right here, right now, turning towards God, listening to God's voice, letting him shape you and mold you here, today, giving you your daily bread, and touching you in the moment.